Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Jay Scott. It's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for stopping by and giving us a listen. We always appreciate you being the audience. And please write us a review when you're done listening to the episode. And uh, also check us out on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Hook Rocks. And we're also part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-related podcasts. Check them out at pantheonpodcast.com. Um, don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We're approaching our 500th episode. We've been doing this now for about four years. We've had some great episodes recently. We just had the great band from the Netherlands, D. Wolf. We had Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy with our co-host Don Jameson talking about the recent release of The Boys Are Back in Town live at the Sydney Opera House in 1979. So check that out and more like Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. Richie Cotson from the Winery Dogs, and so much more, too, as well. We've got some great episodes coming up. We've got a great episode for you today. It's been a while since this guest has been on the Hook Rocks. The last time he was here, I think it was our 300th episode, and we did an 
an episode on the documentary that he did a few years back called Shadow Nation. Talked about that and talked about his activism. And we'd like to welcome back Mr. George Lynch. What's happening? Hey. Uh, Well, as I said earlier, uh, I did an interview right before this interview. And I just did that one intentionally just so I can kind of warm up. So that interview wasn't that good. But this one's going to be unbelievable. I, I saved all the good answers for you. Well, you've always given me good answers. The first time I interviewed you, you talked about this project, this dream project that you have about doing or recording songs in different locations around the world, like it's a national park, you know, or like like Joshua Tree or something like that. And that was really cool. And you asked me to manage that, and I completely failed you on that. And then the last time you were on, we talked about the documentary, which I love, and, you know, your activism, which I feel is so important. So here we are again, and we're here to talk some more new music from you. Wow, it's weird. After our last interview, I mean, all that all those big ideas and plans we had. Yeah. Nothing I happened. I failed, George. I failed. I said, I paid you 15% for nothing. Well, that nothing was pretty much nothing at 15%. So. Well, it was 15% of nothing. That's true. But still, still 15% though. So I'll, I'll have to, we're going to have to figure this, settle this in court. It's kind of like Dominion and Fox, but I'll be Dominion. How do you get to choose Dominion? I, I, well, I want to be Dominion. Guy and, and I don't know. You'll <laughs> be Rupert Murdoch, and I'll be like freaking Bertie Sanders. There's the uh, there's the new lawsuit against them too from like Smart Attic, I think it is, or Smart. I forget what it's called, but it, they they're suing them for almost a billion dollars as well. So things are not good on the Fox News front. Smart Smartmatic, yeah, the other, yeah. another one of the big machine uh, voting machine companies. Mm-hmm. So here we are. You got the new Sweet Lynch album coming out in a couple of weeks called Heart and Sacrifice. This is the third effort from you guys. And I absolutely love this project. You do a lot of projects. This is one of my favorite ones. This is going to be released on Frontier Records. And what's the difference between this album than the ones previous? It's way better. Yeah. Um, This one... uh, was the was a tricky record i think uh you know the first record we didn't know what the chemistry was so it just kind of did what we do and it worked out ended up being what it is and then we'd set the bar and on the second record i think we just kind of went through the paces i'm not saying we didn't care about it or didn't try hard but we weren't trying to break any new ground we're just sort of did another version of the first record so in this one we felt we had like what's the point of doing a third record? You know, I've got all these other projects. I mean, how many records am I going to do? What's the point? Is there a reason to do this? Is, 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 is there a demand for this? So um, we did. That's why it took us so long to do it. Cause we really weren't really intending on doing a third. Um, wanted to make sure there was a point. Uh, but once I started writing, so this is what Michael said, he goes, you know what? You just start writing and see if anything, if, you know, if you get excited about anything, if it's just like, well, same old, same old, then, you know, we'll pass, but just you let me know what, what you think. And so I started writing and I started getting excited and so did he, and he started throwing some shit down and it was awesome. So we're like, I think this is valid and worth doing. And the funny thing is, well, it's not funny, but at the end of that whole process, we delivered the record, the record company rejected three quarters of it. And I was like, you can't do that. <laughs> 
I don't think, can you? And yes, they could. So that was a big pill to swallow. But it forced us to get be more introspective and and more analytical and not, you know, try not to come from an ego place and just look what's best. Let's just service this project and and figure out what the problems are and be analytical. And we did that. And I think it was a better record for it. And I think it was actually the right decision. But even more irony on top of that is those four rejected songs that I had to eat um, and redo. I mean, they trashed them. We just had to, nope, these are not going to be on the record. Start over. I took those four songs and I put them on another record, which is another project I have with that same label. And they love it, but also did not realize they were the same songs that they had rejected. In fact, what they said to me was, now this is how, this is great. Now, why don't you write, well, why didn't you give it this the first time? And I didn't want to say, you know, I didn't want to say I did, but I did. That is, that's odd. I mean, you have mm-hmm. to ask yourself with, with that situation, did they really listen, you know, the first time around, you know, or did they, did they just reject it based on a couple of things maybe they heard and maybe, you know, maybe the person didn't really listen because to have a complete 180 on that, um, you know, it's got to be frustrating for you as an artist, but again, it benefits the project that you're doing now. Well, you know, they, they, there were some changes, you know, I did some arrangement changes and things, but they were 80% was the same song, but with a different singer. That was the thing. Okay. Yeah. So so they became Lynch Mob songs on this new record we just finished called Babylon. It'll be coming out uh, in the summer, the spring, or the fall, I guess. Um, but hey, you know, I I uh, I don't like wasting songs. It's, it's just like I when I you know grew up, we you know you, we never wasted anything. My parents were Depression era, you know. The, came through that and the war and everything. So my father never threw anything. Everything was repurposed and reused and, and you never left a, you know, anything on your plate. It was that old school kind of thing, you know, and I still, I've never ever unlearned that, you know, and I'm kind of the same way with songs. I don't throw any songs. I use all the parts, anything that was ever unused or was rejected. I'll rework it and I'll work it into something else. And, uh, you know, try to be, economical with uh, all my resources. Is it also about the time too that you spend? I mean, it's not just about the material that you created. It's also about the the time. I mean, to create something takes time. Um, you know, it not, it's not just something that magically comes out of your fingers and you play. So it's got to be about that as well. Like you spent time, you, you kind of sweat it over it and you want to see it come to life at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the 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 the, the, the uh, ideas, you know, in their purest form and their rawest form, are just like raw resources, right? And then it's really you can almost mold anything into anything at that point. So that it almost doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter what you write, of course, and, and the vision you have for a song. But I'm saying I just sit here all day long, which I do, and I'll throw stuff out, and I'll play, and I'll record parts, and I'll. And I'll play things that I'll forget, you know, that could have been probably I should have recorded. <laughs> but at the end of the day, 
it's just like raw materials. It's just like clay, you know, and you take it and you do something to it, you know, and, and that's really where the work comes in. It isn't the initial ideas so much. So that's why that, that example I gave of the song that was rejected by the record company that also accepted it in a different form for another project without knowing that it was the same song is because really it's, it's like, you know, I took the clay and I, you know, deconstructed it and turned it back into just a ball and rebuilt it again. So, you know, it, 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 we did an experiment on this Lynch, not to get into a different project, but the, on this Lynch mob record I was telling you about earlier, uh, you know, for years and years, uh, I've talked to guys about, you know, my, you know, trying to learn from pop music writing and, and, and the fact that, you know, most of pop songs, you know, I mean, they're really well thought out and, 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 and they're just really not complicated. They're incredibly simple as far as the initial idea. I mean, basically the same, most of the time, a lot of these songs are just the same part, just played differently. Um, you know, different dynamics and different layering and different melodies and snap, but the same underlying parts just repetitively over and over again. And that's really hard to do. So we actually wrote a song like that on this new Lynch Mob record. Um, and that's, that's sort of an example of what I was trying to convey is that you can have the simplest three chord thing and build, you know, an orchestrated piece out of it. If, if, you know, if you're, if, you have that kind of vision and if you have those arranging skills. Um, so yeah, it is a, it's much less about, I've been trying to get away from the, the, the idea of a guitar, you know, from a guitar player's perspective, if I have to make everything interesting, you know, part wise and challenging for the listener and for myself to prove something, I don't know to who, to myself, to other guitar players, to prove that I'm cool and can write tricky complicated music if i have to that's not like easy time signatures or interesting chord changes some of that stuff is just really an exercise in i don't know what maybe um maybe pointless because <laughs> at the end of the day you know uh, i i i'm i'm around my family and i and they hear my music all the time and none of them seem very impressed ever throughout the decades and then i think well god if I wish I could have just written one Tom Petty song in my life, you know. For you to do that, I mean, one of the things I admire about you is is your willingness to evolve. You know, we've talked, I think, the first time you came on about, you know, being outside the box. And there's always that challenge because the audience wants their favorite artist to stay in the box that they know and love. But as an artist, you need to evolve because that's how you breathe. That's how you that's how you live. When you challenge yourself like that with with songwriting in a different approach, what's more difficult? The you know the odd time signatures, the complicated guitar stuff, or writing a simple three chord melody song like a Tom Petty song? Oh, writing simple is much more difficult. And I'm not a singer, so that makes it even harder because. Uh, you know, I'm not the guy you want to invite to the campfire to sit around the campfire with a acoustic guitar and sing and have this repertoire of, of cover tunes that I'm not that guy. I'm the opposite of that guy. In fact, if you invite me to your campfire, 
I'll have an electric guitar and I'll be working out intricate solos that you won't be able to sing along to. And you'll get bored and go into your tent and just say, fuck this, fuck this George Lynch guy. What the fuck? Who invited him to go camping with us? He sucks. Doesn't know any songs. So, uh, yeah, writing a simple song is really, really, really hard for me. Um, writing a good, simple song, um, you know, and, you know, all the guys that do that sing. And, I, and I'm in my mind, I'm the world's greatest singer. I'm, I'm Al Green meets Aretha Franklin meets James Brown meets, you know, on and on and on and on. Sly Stone. I mean, I'm, I'm Pavarotti. I'm I, in my head. The problem is as soon as this thing opens up, this pie hole, everything goes to hell, dude. It's really, really sad. Yeah. People pay have paid me to not sing. Like a lot of money. Like how much I go, how much would you pay me to sing? Well, I'll tell you how much you pay to not sing. As soon as they hear my voice, yeah. Have you found yourself getting less and less campfire invitations over the years? I get none because I put it out there, you know, not for hire at campfires. I have a shirt that says that and people know that. Um, and I price myself really high, so it's just cost prohibitive for, for most of these campers don't have that kind of money, you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, with gas prices these days, it's... 100000 Yeah. Yeah. And so with this project with Michael Sweet, you, you, you know, you regrouped with him. And you guys have an interesting relationship because you guys are kind of on both ends of the spectrum, and it's been talked about a lot over the years. But when you guys do create, and it's about the music, you know, how much of that difference in personality comes into that creative process? Um, uh, no, I think it's, uh, I don't even think it's an issue. Uh, I think you're referring to the fact that we have different worldviews. Yes. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I think it, it's not even a thing. I mean, I'm not writing lyrics, so, uh, and everything I kid around and we, Michael and I kid around all the time. I mean, it's just a, it's just a joke fest, basically the whole thing process. So, but um, I, I kid that, and I'm actually not kidding, but at, at, all his songs are about how much he loves his wife and Jesus. I mean, that's pretty much the whole, I mean, that was your review right there, you know? Um, but uh, uh, I, we, we've toyed with the idea of doing a, like a concept record. Uh, which he would be open to, but then when I when you just think down like past one layer, you go like, well, that would be impossible. I mean, I would write the atheist perspective; he would write the Christian perspective, and but the problem is, who's going to sing my perspective? Yeah, I didn't expect him to do that. It would be uncomfortable and weird, and no, that wouldn't be right. And I can't sing, so. Well, you got to take some lessons, George. You got to. <laughs> well, I have. I mean, I've been around great singers all my life and tried to, and seriously, like soberly tried to just apply myself. And, uh, you know, I sing backup live, um, of course. Um, but I'm just kind of blown by the seat of my pants. I'm just kind of, I don't really know parts. I can just kind of go up and, 
and if I'm if it sounds good that night and I'm feeling it and some good key for me that, that I can hit the notes, I can sometimes have fun with it and try to get a little bluesy and a little gospely and 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 you know let that flag fly a little bit. Uh, there was one show in particular. This is I, I'll never forget this. Uh, we've been doing a lot of driving. We were doing like a week or two of shows and the band was doing a lot of driving because of back East. So it wasn't so much flying. And so we're spending a lot of time in the vehicles, you know, and we were listening to music and I was at that point listening to the, uh, the live Aretha Franklin um, record. It was like two records set from a live performance in the, at the church in Los Angeles. And there's a video of it. I don't know if you've seen it. And, and Mick Jagger and, and Keith Richards are the only white people in the church. And they're in the very back, like trying to get up on their tippy toes to see Aretha. And they're just like little kids, you know? And, uh, oh, it's so heavy. It's on freaking blue. It's like a performance of a lifetime. And for her, I mean, that's, it's insane. So I was just listening to this thing every day for hours and hours. And eventually just by osmosis, I think, it just permeated me so much. And I have those inclinations anyways in my head as far as what I like vocally and what I would like to be able to sing like or what I appreciate, you know, in uh, a vocalist. So uh, that night, one of those nights at the show, um, we just had a, 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 you know, a little break in between two songs. And I just felt really inspired. And I just blew off some like pseudo gospel stuff. And it was the best I ever sang in my life, which is still not great, but for me, it was really good. And it's all, that's all that matters. It's about me. It's not about the audience. Fuck the audience. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, dude, you know, how much did you pay to get in here? Okay. There's no refunds. So, uh, no, but for me, it was, it meant, it meant something. It meant a lot, you know, because I thought, you know, as much as I want to be, a good guitar player and write good songs above all that. If I could trade all that in to be a great singer, I would, you know, that where I would be able to sing what I hear in my head, I would take that over what I'm doing now. And I'm not even kidding, you know, but whatever. That's, um, that's a great story. I mean, you know, Aretha, you got the spirit of Aretha in you and you were able to get it out. I mean, obviously it didn't sound like Aretha, but you know. oh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Maybe a little better, actually. I mean, that's, not a lot. It's it was in the ballpark. Yeah, it's right up there. It's just, usually, you put it's the pantheon. It's the it's the it's the you know it's the the, the Aretha, Al Green, and and Mr. Scary. Those three are usually in the same breath, right? I well, don't know. The, when you say the ballpark, are you also including the parking lot too, as well, or the the actual ballpark? Yeah. And not the main ballpark. It's the other ballpark, like the Little League ballpark, you know, where the Bad News Bears practice. Yeah. There's a great reference. Um, as far as this project goes, you know, we all know you do a lot of projects and it's for George Lynch fans. It's great because we get more George Lynch music. You know, with working with Michael, is this is this one of the the projects that you look forward to in terms of creating with with Michael and, and putting out music like this and working with Frontiers, because I know you've worked with Frontiers in the past. Yeah, I mean, Frontiers is one of the very few labels that we can, um, you know, we know we, we have a home there and we can, you know, as a place that will 
get our music out there and and we can do business with it's, so we appreciate that um, and we try to always honor that by making sure that I'm not ever just phoning it in no matter what project it is so um but yeah it, it, you know as far as the enthusiasm going into a project there's a little bit of trepidation with these with these records because I mean they are a bit of work and so you got to gear up for that just like any project you know any kind of work you know if you're doing a construction thing you know you got to get all your things in place and your subs and your materials and your costs and your budgets and your time and it's the same with a record you know you have to do that part of it which is really really important i mean just as important as anything else is is managing the project and that's usually falls on on me um most of the time so you know that takes some of the joy out of it, but you know, um, it's just, you know, it's life. It's just what you have to do. It's a business. Um, but at the same time, anytime I sit down and I'm in the saddle in the studio, I'm super happy because that's my most favorite thing to do regarding related to music. You know, live is great. You have awesome shows that are electrifying and you goosebumps. Those are, fantastic but and that's another thing but being in the studio to me is my element i i just I, I could just be there all the time i never it never in fact when we have days off i get bummed i don't know what to do with myself i'm like i want to work seven days a week 12 hour days you know i just love it as, as long as i can sit there and come up with ideas and play solos and build guitar pictures you know whatever you call it i i love it and i as long as the ideas still are still there you know and i'm not repeating myself too much hopefully um is it is it also because you know the the creating process for you um you know you've been doing this for for a while and you know here we are in 2023 and, and wanting to create more music you know, is it is it because you've kind of kind of settled into who you are? Is it about the challenge of coming up with different approaches, like you mentioned, with you know, writing like a Tom Petty song or trying something different? Is you know, there's always the great unknown in areas of of uh, artists that they haven't created yet. And is that it for you to go into those untapped uh, chartered territories for you to create? There's some of that. Sure. Like if I'm doing a project like the banishment or project infidelica or the smoke, this record and other projects that are a little bit left to center for me out of my wheelhouse a little bit, uh, even KXM, definitely KXM. Yeah. Those, those are more like exploratory projects where you're, you're dabbling in things where you're not really, you don't have a solid footing and it's not necessarily in your wheelhouse as much. And, and you're having to either fake it till you make it or learn new stuff or that kind of thing, you know, which is very exciting. And, uh, versus Lynch mob, the end machine, sweet and Lynch, which docking, you know, it's kind of what I do. It's sort of don't have to think about it too hard, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I, I like, I like the, uh, the more adventurous projects for sure. Um, but they come with a little bit more stress because 
you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, when we do a KXM record, I mean, I, we don't do any pre-production. We, as, as you know, we don't write anything. We can't walk in with a song or anything. So we just uh, turn everything on and see what happens. And uh, we have to write a song and record a song every single day for 12 days. So that's got us, that comes with a certain amount of uh, stress because you have this pressure, you know, but that's a good pressure as long as you can deliver, you know, as long as it, I mean, we've never had the situation. I've never, I've never had this situation happen where people are like, okay, you got to come up with something. And I failed. You know, I'm just like, I just, I just can't come up with anything. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to play. Nothing's coming out. I'm sorry. That's, that hasn't happened, which is fascinating to me. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying it from a, from a, like I'm bragging. I'm just saying I, you know, uh, the fact that I'm fortunate enough to be able to sit down and produce something every time I sit down in a musical sense is, um, is a gift. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I'm just really happy and I don't want to fuck with it. And I don't want to look at the eye and I don't want to think too hard about it. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> so when I have to do these records, or I'm sorry, have to do these records, when I start these record projects, you know, I have this little bit of trepidation. Well, I've got to get everything in place and, you know, go back and look at some of my ideas. Or, but when you sit down in the saddle and go, okay, I got to build this thing. You know, I need 11 songs, you know, Part of it is 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 a little bit like a contractor where you kind of you measure it out and you go okay when you if I'm doing a the Ed Machine record or a Lynch Mob record or a Sweet Lynch record I kind of do it like a docking record where we go okay everything has to have hooks we have to have a variety of tempos and we have to have a variety of keys and we have to have a balance between the accessible uh, melodic hard rock and then the more more challenging heavier weirder stuff but not too weird and put that all together and make a nice balanced record that we're and you're not going to want to skip the needle over any of those tracks from A to Z. And that's just kind of how I look at those kind of records. But if I go into a project infidelica record or something like the banishment, none of that applies. <laughs> so kind of in a, in the wilderness at that point, you know, creative wilderness, I'm just like, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. You also create when you're making guitars. You know, that's another outlet for you, another creative outlet. And recently um, you put together a guitar that's a tribute to Eddie Van Halen, you know, someone that you more or less grew up on the strip with, you know, playing music and, and being in bands in the early days. What was that that project like for you creating that? Was it did it come with an idea kind of like with the music, or did it just you sat there in your in your uh place of, of creating guitars and just thought up what you wanted to have on that tribute guitar. Well, I mean, you know, Eddie going away left a huge void in all of our hearts and lives. I mean, you know, guitar player community and fans, of course, but I mean, the fact that we we're both SoCal guys and from the same generation and have shared experiences and stuff that, that, was even, you know, more deeply felt. And even to this day, it, sometimes I just be walking around and, and doing my day and think about it just out of random, randomly, just like, 
And I have a lot of guitar player friends who do the same thing. We're just like, wait a minute, Eddie's gone? I, I, I can't get my head around wrapped around that. You know? uh, it's, just a, it's just a crazy thing. So, I mean, you know, it's been on my mind, you know, less, ever since, you know, he's passed, obviously. Um, weighs pretty heavily and, uh, you know, makes you think about your own mortality and, 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 and your place in the, in, in the pantheon and have you done the right thing? And is there anything else you can do to, you know, serve the greater good? <laughs> so I don't know. It's just, um, it was a very, very difficult one. That, that Eddie and Eddie and Beck going away was, <laughs> that was a paradigm shift. Um, but as far as the guitar, um, I wouldn't read too much into that guitar. It wasn't like I was, of course, it's, you know, a tribute to him and, and, and we were sort of friendly-ish, you know, for, for many, many years, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, when I get in there, I, I do, I start painting or staining or cutting or whatever I'm doing. Uh, I'm really, I, I can't quite honestly say I have a, a plan. It's kind of like how, when like when I'm writing songs, it's just, I just, wait to see what happens um so uh you know it was just kind of a, almost like a, a joke at first you know i was with my uh, actually with my tech and we were we were spending a couple of days at the shop between uh, uh tours and we started uh, messing around with some bodies and I, you know, I brought him down and sometimes when we're we're home we will we, go in there and work together and knock some things out and i call those spec guitars because most of my guitars are, by, are, are built for per order, you know, and, and people want something very specific. But then I, I, what I really am trying to emphasize more now is my spec guitars. So I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just have a body, let's say, laying around that I picked up from wherever. I'll have a neck off one of my old guitars. I'll have some pickups that are maybe prototype wounds that Seymour made me before the, you know, early Screaming Demons or something. You know, he wound me like eight or nine prototypes before we finally nailed it. You know, stuff like that. Interesting stuff, you know, that that's kind of has a story behind it. And I'll start putting these things together and like, okay, well, what do I do with this body? I've just got like, you know, an old Charvel Strat body or something. Oh, well, so, you know, the Eddie thing was one, you know, but show the three different variations of the Eddie uh, color schemes on one guitar. Um, that's relatively easy to do, you know, just tape it up, just spray paint. I mean, it literally takes, you know, a couple hours. Uh, or they're all getting to carving. And I did one called the tree of life. And that's, you know, I traced out a tree and I carved this tree and I just kept going and going kind of, but you're right in the sense that working on these guitars is very similar to writing and playing guitar or writing songs. You just kind of lose track of time and space and get so immersed in it. And you just see where it takes you. And it's just, it's like meditation. And my wife's a yoga person. She she owns a yoga studio, and that's her. You know, very involved in all that stuff, very deeply. And and she, and I would try to go to her uh, shala, her 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 studio, uh, and, and meditate. And 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 in other instances in my life, you know, I've tried to do that. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And I can never do it. I mean, I know there isn't isn't good and bad meditating. I understand that, but I just never just could get to that place where I felt I did anything that was, it was doing any good. <laughs> the mind just couldn't turn it off. But then one day I was talking to her and she was going, you know what? I think when you play, cause I'm watching you play, I think that you're meditating already, you know? And when I work on the guitars, definitely you just go into, I don't want to say trance, but you just sort of, you know, kind of lose yourself. You lose yourself in that process. And, and I think, a lot of people do that, but if you really think about it, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily a creative uh, endeavor. It could be any kind of uh, occupation. <laughs> Sorry, my wife just got here. She's uh, been digging holes in the, the ground. Secchia ditches. Yeah, well, I mean, are we doing the Joe Pesci route with the digging the holes in the, in the desert? <laughs> Oh, these are good holes. These are for uh, where we live up here in northern New Mexico. They have these ancient canals called sequias that the Hispanic settlers built networks of, which allows this whole portion of New Mexico to thrive, you know, agriculturally, you know, water's life. So um, these sequias are fundamental to the, um, to these, you know, the livelihoods of all these people, you know, the animals and food and just be able to exist. Very important. So you have to maintain those systems. Um, 
And so we go out and, and service the sequoias, you know, do maintenance things. So basically shovels and picks and hose. The other kind of hose. I took my son to New Mexico several years ago. It was one of my favorite trips with him. Um, such a beautiful state. I love how wide open it is. And it's just, we were down in, for, for part of the trip, we were down in Las Cruces. And we went to this Mexican restaurant, which is probably the best Mexican food I've ever had. And I actually think they make it in Mexico and there's a tunnel underneath that they bring the food back and they serve it because it was so authentic and it was so great. It was absolutely incredible. Oh, dude, you're making me hungry right now. Yeah. God. Yeah. It's, it's the best place in the world, but I just don't want to tell anybody about it because some of the people might come here. Yeah, that's what does happen. You know, you, you mentioned Jeff Beck, you know, passing too, and how that him and Eddie were both kind of a paradigm shift when they passed. And you've mentioned um, on this show and others how much Beck meant to your plane. Beck Spolero was like a game changer for you. You know, with Eddie passing and Jeff Beck passing, you know, what's that like for you as a guitar player, you know, with these, you know, Beck being more of an influential guy, Eddie being more of a contemporary, someone that you were playing with in the same clubs and and some nights the same gigs. How is that for you and, and how does that change your perspective on things? How does what change my perspective? How does their passing change your perspective? You know, and when you reflect on them and you also look to your own life. Well, you know, I think everybody has a tendency to, you know, see somebody, somebody passes in their sphere, um, makes them think about their own mortality and the, and the weight of their existence and what they've contributed or what they've created or, you know, uh, and I think you want to do something lasting, but not from an ego sense, but from a contribution sense. It's almost like the Native American ethos of, you know, consider your actions and how they affect seven generations beyond you. I mean, that's a long time to consider. But, uh, but I, I, but again, I think you have to be careful when you're building, you know, what may be considered a legacy that it's not for the point of having a legacy. In other words, you're not putting your name on the bridge, you know, you, you know, some politician's name on the bridge to, you know, assage his ego or some billionaire's philanthropist, quote unquote, uh, museum, you know, with his name on it, with a bunch of dead artifacts that they stole, you know, but doing something that actually brings some benefit or joy to you know, the greater world and, and other, you know, or even one person, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how to uh, categorize it, but I'm just, I'm just thinking music is such a crazy, intangible, almost, you know, very mysterious thing um, that serves a purpose. that's more fundamental than a lot of things, maybe not more than air and water, but definitely Love, music, air, water. I mean, you know, those are all kind of heavily weighted necessities, you know. And um, and if I can be a part of that process and do my job well to where it makes life better for some people, then I guess that's most I can expect to achieve. It's hard to quantify that, but, you know. 
you hear back from people. You know, the interviewer I just spoke to before you was very had some very nice things to say about how he felt about some of the things I've done musically, and you know, tell was very heartfelt and passionate about it. So that that that's good to hear because sometimes when you're sitting there doing this, it's really just nuts and bolts and it's a money thing and it's, it's my job and I'm just kind of doing what I always do. And, you know, and sometimes times forget how it actually affects people emotionally on, on, very powerfully. So I have to remember that. When you're, when I hear your guitar playing, I think back of my older brother who was a huge George Lynch fan. And of course, you have an older brother in the house that's bringing in hard rock records and rock and roll stuff you become a fan of that too and i remember how he would go over your parts and he would and he would play kiss of death or he would play unchain the night or tooth and nail or whatever it was and i would just you know i could hear him in his bedroom throughout the house because my parents were working you know during the summer and i we were both home and I would just listen, and, and I became kind—I became a huge George Lynch fan, almost by accident because of my brother playing your your parts on guitar over and over again, and trying to learn that. And every time I hear, you know, any of the Doc and stuff or any of the early Lynch Mob stuff, it takes me back to that moment of when I was younger and hearing my brother try to play your your stuff. <laughs> yeah, and. Sadly, playing it much better than I could. <laughs> That's another thing. Bill, like I've been somewhat irresponsible. But it's just kind of the way I'm built, where I don't really put the time in to make sure that I replicate things that I've created that matter to people. And I've gotten some crap from that, and and I think rightfully so. And uh, where I'll go play live, and I won't reproduce these things in an honorable way, you know, I'll just sort of dance around it and do a variation on the theme, you know, and, but somebody like your brother probably, I don't know, but you know, may have figured this stuff out. note for note. And yeah. Probably the right thing for the guy who replayed it originally to know it note for note, that would probably be what I should do, but I don't, but oh well. The last part of our conversation, I know how much activism is important to you. I know how much, you know, finding a cause that you're passionate about, whether it's Shadow Nation, whether it's about feeding the homeless in the streets of L.A. You know, what are you doing now in, in terms of, you know, activism and, and, and charity work and, and causes that you're passionate about? Well, you know... <sighs> Working on the left side of issues, uh, progressive side of issues, is a very unforgiving, unrewarding in the sense that, you know, the money's on the, on the, on the, uh, well, you know, <laughs> the money, the money's on the, on the, the, the power side of the equation, you know. I mean, smart people will convince themselves, rationalize lies to get paid. And good people will work themselves, you know, to a point of mental fatigue to try to better better society and, and have, a, have a better world. And, and with no immediate 
reward for themselves financially or otherwise. It's just a bunch of hard work and it's painful and it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating and it's full of failures. And the thing was, with, for instance, on let's say on an environmental or, or uh, uh, you know, let's say there's a, a, a mine they're trying to, you know, uh, put in a gold mine in Alaska or something that's going to destroy a million acres of caribou uh, uh, habitat uh, and uh, salmon fishery for the, you know, indigenous communities will be affected negatively and create leach fields that will poison the water in the ground for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. So you look at that and you think, okay, well, if you can, if you have politically, if you win that one, if you have an administration that's sort of, you know, pro-environment, you've got, that's a temporary thing. So your wins are temporary, but your losses are permanent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a ever, perspective there. You can never rest on your laurels or think, oh, well, you know, I can put my feet up now. We fought that battle. So in my younger years, you know, I did fight some battles and, and was heavily involved in some other issues, you know, especially environmental issues, which I'll always care about. But you always get you get fatigued. And I did get fatigued. So now at the point in my life where I just try to look more trying to just live by example. So think globally, act globally, kind of. And, and, I, and I'm a hypocrite. You know, I drive a one of my vehicles is a. You know, gas guzzling diesel monstrosity, you know? Uh, you know, but I'm trying, you know, not perfect. Uh, you know, I grew up in a modern world and I'm a victim of, of that, you know, but, um, you know, the other thing that I've been uh, frustrated in is that uh, I'm never able to kind of bridge that gap between being a, you know, a little bit of an activist in my own way uh, about things that I really care passionately about, uh, social, economic justice, environmental justice, thing, you know, climate change, and you know, whatever, on and on and on. And use, I think, well, I'm in this gift as I can play guitar and I can write songs. I need to use that as tools, as vehicles to convey these messages. Never been good at that. And that has been very frustrating for me as well. So, uh, and then again, I think you have to have a natural kind of tendency, ability to do that well. I mean, like, Crosby, Stills, and Nash Young, uh, Rage Against the Machine, uh, you know, whoever, you know, I mean, there's John Lennon, I mean, these things, naturally, I've never had that. You know, I think the the thing that's always present with activism is is irony, Uh, when it's, when it's, um, when you you think when you think of things that happen and what causes you to go after something, and what I mean by irony is when there's the other side of things that get upset about something that, like for instance, the the train chemical spills in Ohio, you know that that uh, derailment early, uh, I think it was in March, and we heard all these people upset about how come there is not regulation, and the irony is as well. People are voting for people that don't want regulation, and this is what happens. And then, even if you peel the the orange back even more, you know, when you go when you the the train derailments versus like the pipeline and you know the Keystone pipeline that was canceled and all the uproar on that was caused because our current administration canceled that permit to build to continue to build the pipeline and all the oil spills that happen as a result of pipelines. It's like 
do people really understand what they're for and against sometimes? And I think that's sometimes where I go is like, well, wait a minute, you're you voted for someone that wants to deregulate. Now you're mad that there's no regulation, yet you were mad when the Keystone Pipeline was canceled because of environmental concerns. And I think for myself, who loves the environment and, and, and is very wants to help the environment, it's, it grows frustrating to to hear that and to see that. And the irony is always present when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question because, of course, everybody wants clean air and water and wants a healthy earth for our children and grandchildren. And, you know, we want everything. It's just common sense. Nobody's going to not want that, right? But at the same time, you know, what's the more powerful thing? The aspirational, you know, the, the best thing for, for, for all of us long term or your immediate gratification of some sort of reward? So I think greed and fear are probably the two greatest motivators. Politicians know that, especially politicians, they're in bed with money, powerful interests. Those are they, they understand human psychology and they understand what makes us tick. And they will use fear of the other and greed, immediate gratification as the carrots. And as human beings, we're going to go for that because that's how we're designed. And then beyond that, I think it's a matter of within that context, it's a matter of human, just the way you're, you're wired as a, as a, as a particular human being. And I think the data will reflect this politically that throughout the world, we're pretty much bifurcated straight down the middle. I mean, we're polarized, uh, you know, 50% against 50%. So where's that going to get us? Um, and I think that's a, I think that personally is a matter of brain wiring. I just think people, are designed to be empathetic. Half people are designed to be forward thinking, care about others a little more, be more compassionate, empathetic, and uh, willing to forego something, some reward, immediate reward for some greater good. And the other half of us aren't. And I don't think you can really, you can't talk somebody out of the brain wiring. You know, no, there's no argument powerful enough to change the way that you're built chemically, logically. <laughs> so I don't think there's an answer for the dilemma, quite honestly. Yeah, no, I, I think it's more or less they have to experience something to change that wiring, right? I mean, right. Dick Cheney's daughter's a lesbian. All of a sudden he cares about lesbian issues. Right. But he's still going to be a warmonging Halliburton monster. Or, you know, when it comes to healthcare, you know, people scream about repealing Obamacare, yet when they're when they get cancer and these bills pile up and they have to do all this stuff right away, they're like, no, we need this. Well, because it didn't affect them originally, they don't have the connection to it. They don't care about it as much as someone who has a pre-existing condition or someone that, you know, almost was on the verge of bankruptcy, even though bankruptcy still happened because of healthcare. It's 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 a lot of me, me, me. And I and I think that also probably played in your into your fatigue too as well. Yeah, I mean, what's the solution? You know, give everybody can a little bit of cancer. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> you want universal health, single payer health care? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the United States is kind of an island, you know, really. And and we're not like Europe or Asia where we have these other 
you know, we're not surround, we're just surrounded by these giant oceans and we don't really understand that, you know, there's, there are better ways to manage ourselves and just it, the, the simplest idea I can think of is we'll look to places that manage themselves well with good and they have good results. Look, you don't have a lot of guns. So you have one two hundredth of, of the, of the gun deaths in your country than we do. Oh, uh, you have sensible environmental regulations. You have, you, you know, why don't you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of homeless people and, and, and why do you, you know, massive levels of incarceration, mostly brown and black people, uh, you know, all these things. Why, why do you, why do we have that and other countries don't? Well, let's look to these countries that, that do better with those issues. Uh, Benelux countries, Scandinavian countries, uh, whatever, Bhutan, whatever. <laughs> and name a place that's successful at dealing with certain things, New Zealand, and, and see how they do it. I mean, it's just like a business. It's a way you manage it. We, 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 we collectively decide to manage ourselves. People are all down on the government. I was like, well, government is just our, us managing ourselves collectively. That's all it is. Can't have chaos and anarchy. I mean, you got a way to, you know, we have to have shared rules and, 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 and uh, beliefs. But of course, now when you start getting to the point we're at now politically, where there is no way to detect truth, truthfulness, from truthiness, <laughs> then you don't have any foundational basis to even be able to hold a, you know, a, a conversation about any of this stuff. So, yeah, I think it's the point. I think that's all intentional, obviously. Muddy the waters. Yes, yes. What's what's uh, what's next for you um, after this? Uh, I'm gonna for Emperor of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Name uh, this continent Lynchtopia, and then I will be. But I'm not going to ever get corrupted or anything, or be bad or anything like that. And I won't. I want. I'm not going to like be. You know, I'm probably give up power after a couple of years, pass the torch on. But I won't change the constitution or anything like that, or you know, go against my political enemies or anything like that, or take billions of dollars. Nah, I won't do that. That won't happen to me. That happens to everybody else. Yeah. Only the strong survive at the end of the day, right? But do you have, I'm like, what's the next music wise in terms of for you? I mean, you mentioned the Lynch Mob, Mob Project, right? new album coming out from, from that band. And what else is going on? Well, the Banishment came out in February. Uh, we, the the uh, Sweet Lynch record obviously is coming out here soon. Um uh, I've got I've got a litany of of projects in the pipeline. They're all done. Just just start tossing them out here every couple of months. Um, I don't want to confuse people. It's pretty confusing. I'm confused. I can't even keep track of it. I've got a, a second heavy hitters record coming out. Jeff uh, that I did with Jeff Jeff Pilson and I did a uh, did another one of those, which is all covers. Um, and um, Got a Lynch Mob record called Babylon, which is great. That's coming out um, in the early fall, I believe. I've got an instrumental record that I finished about a year and a half ago called Guitars at the End of the World on Rat Pat Records. That's going to come out early summer. And um, there's some, uh, the End Machine. Uh, I guess that would be the third End Machine record with a new singer, a gentleman named Girish from uh, India, who's 
unfreaking believable. He's just insanely good. So Jeff and I are very excited with the way this record's coming out. And I think we actually, with this End Machine record, I think we finally did it. I think we finally reached that that thing that we've been trying to write, trying to that album we've been trying to make for 40 years. Every docking record, Lynch Mob record, you know, me and Jeff, all our records, they've all led up to this. And I think this is the payoff. I think this is the one. I don't think I need to make any more records after this one comes out. That's a big statement. That is a, I'm going to change and do something else. As far as docking shows, you're still going to continue to do that as well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's probably about a third of our touring is doing the, uh, where, you know, uh, Lynch Mob will open up docking headlines. And then I walk out and do three or four songs at the end of the night with Don and do her kumbaya thing. And everybody loves it. It's super fun, easy, and very makes a lot of people happy. You know, see us up there playing original tunes and all that, having a good time. So, yeah, we'll keep doing that for a while. And the, you know, the, the question you probably get asked a lot, is there any any inkling of a docking reunion now that Foreigner's kind of winding down too as well? I, don't, I really uh, don't think so. Um, you know, Don's coming out with a new record. Um uh, you know, with his current band and, and I've got a lynch mob, you know, is this current version of lynch mob. I'm trying to keep this intact. And uh, I'm very, very happy with the band. It's a great band. That's my touring vehicle, you know, and so we tour uh, a decent amount. We do a decent amount of touring. And now we have our first record, you know, with this lineup reestablishing, you know, the name after I got rid of the name for a couple of years, brought the name back. And, um, you know, I mean, if if I've sort of got to commit to that, you know, and if I if I take a commitment away from that, then that falls apart. And the other thing is, uh, we've tried to put the docket thing together uh, and do a re reunion um, many times in the past, and we've had really sincere, dedicated efforts to do that. Had a lot of people involved, and they always fell apart, obviously. So. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, the momentum is not there as it was, you know, in the past years. So we're getting kind of older. And and I think the bottom line, and, and Jeff and I talked about this, and so did Don and I. We said, well, says, unless it's a great record, I mean, really is the bookend to our whole catalog, you know, starting with Tooth and or uh, you know, Breaking the Chains. Unless it's a great, great record. I mean, great performances, great writing, great sounds. Unless we can pull that off, what's the point, you know? And I don't know if we can pull that off, quite honestly, you know, because that, that was a different time, a different era. We we're all made of different molecules. And I think doing a docking record and trying to make it fit in with that, that library of material would be a little disingenuous because we're, we don't write that way anymore. We're not those people. Um, I'm not saying we couldn't write good songs and play well, but I don't know if it's necessary, you know? Well, George, as always, uh, thank you for your time. Always a great conversation with you. Always great catching up with you and, and uh, can't wait to talk to you again. Well, we'll have lots of opportunities. Let's just pick a, pick a project, you know, uh, down the road here. And hopefully we can get back together. I, I just like the fact that we, you know, we get into different areas and not, you know, the music's important. We do that, but 
also the all the uh, I love talking to you about some of the other things that are important to to me and hopefully everyone else that matter. I think it's important too. I think in today's day, I think we kind of shy away of that for whatever reason. But I always appreciate that you're engaging. I always appreciate you know the wisdom that you share on things and the perspective and. You know, for those that haven't seen it, it's available on Amazon Prime, which is Shadow Nation, which is the documentary you did about, I think, what, eight years ago or something like that. And um, just a tremendous uh, uh, story, if if you will, or, or a documented story about what's really happening with the Native Americans in this country and uh, just a, a great um, a great vehicle for information and, and, and the truth. Thanks for bringing that up. That's that's uh, that's a project very close to my heart and just incredibly passionate about. And again, as we talked about a little earlier, it can be very frustrating because with all all the levers that little tiny levers that we can pull on our end with a little bit of little voice and my little soapbox that I can get on didn't doesn't even move the needle. And that's that's the, that's the really the biggest problem for me is you. you you know, throw yourself and your full weight of this into something that you believe in, you care about, and you hope to make some tiny little difference in the world and it doesn't move the needle. It's, it's very disheartening. And, uh, but as you said, you know, we did make a documentary. We managed to make it, um, even though we didn't have any experience in making films at all and learned on the, you know, by doing it. Uh, and now it's there. You know, it, it actually is a tangible thing that you can, as you mentioned, you know, you can go on Amazon and watch it. And I hope some people get a chance to do that and uh, listen to the message and maybe find it or contribute in some way to uh, fix, a, a, you know, uh, I think our what I would call uh, America's original sin. People refer to slavery as original sin. I was like, well, no, I think pretty much the genocide of the first Americans is the Original, original sin. <laughs> then there was the other sins. Neither. Yeah, I, I think the most impactful moment for me in that documentary, I, I may have mentioned this to you before, is that scene where it it's kind of correlates with what we talked about. You know, the power on one side and the, and the empathy on the other is you have a youth center that's pretty much vacant, non-existent. You know, it doesn't get the funding it should have. It doesn't, you know, the upkeep isn't there. And the youth center is what, People in poor communities and in lower income communities, uh, lower income communities use for their children to go and get off the streets and find mentors and and lead them or hopefully lead them to a path of a, a positive of life and, and positive things. And then right next door, all this money is going into a prison for for kids, basically. And like it's like it's like well, if we spent the money on the youth center. Maybe we wouldn't have to have spend the money on the prison for for kids, you know. It was it was insane. I mean, the juxtapositioning of those two things right across the road from each other. You know, the abandoned, boarded up, uh, you know, community center or, or whatever it was, and then and then right across the street, you know, this massive juvenile detention facility, Obama funded. He put his name on it. It was on the freaking billboard. <laughs> And uh, a lot of the tribal people refuse to work on it, you know, because it's, you know, 
or, or we're going to give you a temporary job. So now we'll have a place to put your children, yeah. you know, incarcerate your children. It's just, it's just maddening, you know, and, and those places aren't going away, you know? Yeah. They're building more of them. You know, I mean, it, it is, um, it's a very troubling thing in this country about how many people have been incarcerated over the last 25, 30 years. And that's a whole nother topic for another time, but yeah. uh, get into, you know, forced prison labor and, you know, uh, working for 13 cents an hour. Uh, well, see, you talk about having a motivation to, to imprison people, especially poor people who have no political power, people of color. I was like, Oh, guess what? We've got this workforce here. That's, we don't have any, have any, uh, there's no unions. We don't have to pay them a living wage. I mean, basically, it's the it's the uh, it's the uh, it's the one line in the Thirteenth Amendment that makes an exception for slavery. Crazy. It's like, like if you did something wrong, there's jaywalking or stealing a loaf of bread or whatever, brandishing a gun or whatever you did. In, you know, your poverty stricken community where you have zero options, uh, give us a reason to, to lock you up and use you as slave labor. And I have personal, I don't want to get into the weeds on this one, but I will save it for next time. But I have worked with companies where this is actually a thing, you know, in the music industry. And uh, again, I have to be careful. I don't want to talk about mention names or anything like that. But I'll just say there are very large companies out there that avail themselves of this kind of um prison labor and one of them was very uh the the ceo was very outspoken about being against building uh building uh, musical equipment in, in in china or indonesia because they they would claim that that they used uh forced labor or prison labor so we'll, we'll never use we, you know we'll never build in china we'll always build america so we because they use prison labor what they didn't tell you is those same companies had contracts, compacts with the states they were in to use prison labor to build those musical instruments. I I used to work for a corporation, a big corporation, 20-some years ago that had smaller corporations underneath the shell of the big corporation that would use prison labor for things. It was crazy. I, I just, you know, and and you know, the rights argument around that is, well, they did bad, they're bad people, they did bad things, and shouldn't they be productive and paying for their their room and board, and 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 instead of so just sitting around in a cell room and idle hand, idle, whatever the term is, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So that's the way they sort of rationalize it. But I was like, well, no, but doesn't mean you can't treat them as if they're part of the workforce and they can like actually make a living wage and have decent working conditions, whether it's, I mean, it's still a citizen, still a human being, but yeah. really just using it as corporate, you know, it's, it's, it's corruption on top of corruption. So corporations, you know, it's going to affect their bottom line. So they don't have to labor's their biggest cost, you know? Until next time. Yep. We we'll we'll get into it uh next time we talk because it's a whole, yeah. a whole well, can of worms. <laughs> you know. too. Um all right. So thanks thanks again, man. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day.
All right, everyone, that's George Lynch. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Committee Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We will talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.